This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Welcome to Friend of Maryland. My name is Kat Pauze, and this is a fat-friendly space. Today on Friend of Maryland, I share my experience of being vaccinated for COVID-19. I chat with Joanna, a queer, non-binary, fat femme creator, and I spotlight a piece from your fat friend about fat not being a bad word. I'm very pleased that I was able to receive my first shot of the COVID-19 vaccination recently. As someone with a BMI over 40, I am a member of Group 3 here in New Zealand, So I was able to get vaccinated before uh, the general public. Now, thanks to Ali Garrett, a fat activist in Australia, I was aware that I would need to be vaccinated with a longer needled syringe that is normally used. And I arrived at my vaccination appointment ready with this information. My vaccinator, however, didn't have that information. As he prepared the shot, I asked him if he would be using the larger needle, which is a 38 millimeter needle. Um, He stopped and looked a bit surprised and checked the needle that he was preparing to administer and said, well, no, this is the standard 25 millimeter. And then he asked which arm I wanted to receive my vaccination in. I asked him if he was aware that fat people, especially super fat people like me, should be vaccinated with a longer needle to ensure that it reaches the muscle. He didn't know that. And he, but he was happy to go and see if he could find the the longer needle, and he could find it. Um, I did get my shot, yay! And he shared with me that there were plenty of longer needles in the storeroom if needed. But my concern is they're not in the room, you know, ready on hand for fat people and and super fat people who who might need them. I'm also concerned that most fat people aren't going to know that they need the longer needle. Um, And even some that might be aware might not be able to advocate for themselves. Um, Advice from all over the world is about super fat people being vaccinated with the longer needle. Um, I found examples from the Netherlands and England, uh, other parts of Europe, the US, New Zealand's own guidelines. So where I am, notes that their language, very large or obese person uh, should have the 38 millimeter needle used. The guidelines on how you determine, you know, if that's a very large or obese person is about clinical judgment about, you know, whether or not you think the needle length is appropriate to reach the muscle. I can imagine that in normal circumstances, guidelines like that are appropriate. Uh, The people that are doing regular vaccinations for the flu shot um, or children's vaccinations or whatnot 
probably are vaccinating on a really regular basis and have might have long histories of doing so. I know that isn't the case, though, for the COVID-19 vaccination. New Zealand, like many other parts of the world, has had to rapidly train up people who aren't used to doing vaccinations in order to vaccinate our population as quickly as possible. I would not expect someone who has only started vaccinating in the last few weeks to have a clinical judgment to be able to assess whether or not someone needed a, a larger needle. I'm also concerned just that um, anybody with a BMI over 40, uh, which would be super fat people, are getting vaccinated now as members of group three. And they're the ones that need these longer needles. It shouldn't be the fat person's responsibility to know that they need to be vaccinated with the longer needle. That knowledge should be held by the vaccine administrator. It shouldn't be the fat person's responsibility to speak up and say like, hey, I'd like an appropriate vaccination. I'd like those, you know, to develop those antibodies. Again, that should just be actioned by the vaccine administer before without any kind of request on the fat people. So I'm worried about this. I want all super fat people to know that they should be vaccinated with a 38 millimeter needle to ensure that the vaccine reaches the muscle as intended and as needed for proper protection. And that is true for all vaccines, not just COVID vac- uh, COVID-19, but also flu and whatnot. And I want all of the vaccinators to know that they need to make sure that they're vaccinating fat people and especially super fat people with the 38 millimeter needle. So I've been ra- trying to raise aware of this on social media. I've done um, an interview with RNZ. There was a another piece that came up on stuff But I'm worried. I'm worried not only about the team of 5 million that I'm a part of here in New Zealand that has been working so hard to keep COVID-19 at bay. And I'm also worried about super fat people around the rest of the world who aren't getting the protection they think they're getting because the shot that they're receiving isn't with the correct needle and isn't reaching the muscle. So help me educate people on this. Help me Check in with vaccinating locations to ensure that the vaccinators know this and are um, working accordingly. Help me ensure that super fat people aren't once again being left behind, aren't once again not getting the care that they need uh, because nobody really cares except me. Joining me today is Joanna, a queer, non-binary, fat femme creative and educator, disrupting diet culture and anti-fatness through art. Joanna, thank you so much for coming on Friend of Maryland. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here with you. Joanna, how long would you say you've been doing work to disrupt diet culture and anti-fatness? Oh, I would say that, you know, we do that interpersonally all our lives, but um, I have been doing it, I think, intentionally since 2015. What got you started in in doing that work? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. Um, So right now I have a project. It's called Noha Power. Um, It's on Instagram and it really initially started in 2015. I was 
you know, an undergraduate at the University of California, Davis. I was newly out as a queer person. Um, and so I was building queer community and a lot of the, you know, spaces were really intentional. Um, and so one of the topics of conversation that folks were having was about fat experiences, but it was really new to me. Um, it was really new to me to have them in that way. Um, and so, I, um, you know, came into kind of uh, my consciousness around fatness um, in undergrad, but I also started finding folks like Sonia Renee Taylor, Virgie Tovar, Caleb Luna, um, you know, before they also, some of them became really good friends. So, um, but I think the, the meat, you know, was really just like the urge to, to break out and spill out all the stories that I've been lugging around since childhood and saying like, oh my God, like there's spaces that, you know, folks are wanting these stories, wanting to unpack them, wanting to hear them, wanting to, you know, um, create some kind of camaraderie because of them. Um, and so it was really the, the beginning of um, what I'm, you know, doing now. That's an incredible beginning. Um, I think it's one, too, that I've heard kind of echoed um, for a lot of fat activists uh, around the globe in terms of kind of creating the spaces that we need for ourselves um, that uh, then obviously benefit <laughs> more than just us, you know, but, you know, kind of willing it, willing what we need into, into creation. Um, Joanna, talk to me a bit about the specific kinds of, of, of work uh, that you do in that space. Yeah, so um, like I was sharing, um, so Longha Power is specifically on Instagram, but it was inspired by a um, workshop that I used to um, curate, which is, which is called Amor a las Longitas, um, transferred, or translated, sorry, means love to fat roles. Um, and it was something that I did just for my peers. Um, but then I quickly learned just even on my campus, how unique it was to have a workshop that talked about fat experience, but centered the experiences of people of color. Um, I learned how unique it was because people wanted more of it and they wanted also something different. Um, initially it was just kind of cursory, you know, talking about diet culture and talking about fatness. It was like not an insult. Um, but eventually what it became was I started doing actual closed spaces with fat folks, young fat people, because I would, um, primarily go to conferences that were for folks that were in college. Um, and so, um, once I started doing that, I, I also just got inspired to tap into so many other things. Um, I am also a poet, so I write poetry. Um, and over the pandemic, like a lot of people, I picked up new things. Um, and so one of those new things is teaching myself how to draw. Um, so now what I um, am working on is really um, visual art that can tie in some poetry um, but also some messaging on how, um, you know, we can start to see our experiences as fat people, just like another way of existing, but not as a, something that we have to over explain or justify or. Um, and so I'm hoping to celebrate fat people through the art that I create and, um, you know, across uh, the different spectrums of what fatness is. It's so abundant. 
Joanna, when you do those workshops with those younger people at like the college conference type things, what kind of responses do you get? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I think it really, you know, depends on where folks are in their own personal journeys. Um, But one of the things that was really incredible or one of the things that has really stuck with me was um, once I I was attending a conference and folks had a lot to say about the space itself. So um, in one of those closed spaces, I asked folks to kind of create like agreements that they wanted for the space that I could kind of redirect and share out with whoever was organizing the space. Um, And so I think those closed spaces really allow themselves to either be um, something to, to, create a space for the moment for the experience that you're in if it is a a bigger conference but it can also be you know it leaves you with something to take beyond that space Um, and so what came out of it was we um, made kind of like a list of agreements of what we wanted from peers and um, folks in our community spaces to also uphold and some of that was just around language and boundaries Um, And also, you know, in the same ways that um, folks are advocating for accessibility around disability, like also doing some of that advocacy for accessibility around fatness. I would imagine there's a lot of different intersections that come into play, um, both in terms of, yeah, like size, disability, race, ethnicity, class, sexuality. <laughs> There's so many different uh, um, intersections, I'm sure, that, that kind of come in come into play into what you do. Do you find that, like, does it, does it make it all stronger, bringing in, you know, making sure that all of those layers are, are included? Does that add strength to the work? I think it definitely does. Um, something that I've, you know, kind of, also seen through the work that I do is that it's super important to create um, fat affirming and positive spaces that go beyond kind of like the body positivity narrative or the love your body narrative. Um, And I feel like spaces, when I'm in spaces with other people of color that also are experiencing uh, multiple experiences of marginality, um, it also allows for some of those deeper conversations around institutionalized anti-fatness that kind of goes beyond just I'm trying to learn how to love my body or exist in my body but it also is you know around advocacy and kind of um, thinking through the experiences of our parents our experiences of ourselves or just our different lineages right and within um, whether it is the U.S. or other Um, nation states. So I think it really allows for an abundance of um, connections that then still bring us back to our experiences as fat people. Um, And I'm happy to say more about that too. (laughs) Yeah, no, please do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like a lot of the times, um, you know, um, issues that fat people face are really individualized. And so the narrative in popular media, which I'm sure that you've heard a lot of people say, is that it places the onus on fat people to lose the weight as opposed to, or to lose the weight for the purpose of interacting with the world around us, as opposed to making the world around us be accessible, right? And so for me, when I'm thinking about the work that I do primarily with um 
um, like queer, trans, folks of color that are also fat, um, is that we're thinking about making the world accessible across so many different experiences. So we're already thinking about accessibility across transness, fatness, disability, right, in a way that when we think about um, body positivity, sometimes it really doesn't allow for that conversation um, because there is still um, different pockets, pockets of normativity that get championed in body positivity movement. Um, and so I think it's really important for folks that, you know, um, kind of question and challenge some of those things so that we're also still centering some of these stories that are um, still, you know, devalued even within the community. Joanna, if there are people listening who are keen to uh, to reach out to you, to be involved, to um, check out the project on Instagram, how can they find you online? Yay, thank you. Um, so I, so my name is Joanna Villegas. Um, you can definitely find me. I'm on Medium. I'm sharing different um, pieces of writing on Medium. I'm also on Instagram. If you look up Amor en las Lonjitas or Lonja Power, um, and you can also follow my personal Instagram, which is Secretos y Contradicciones. Um, it is all in Spanish, um, much like Lonja Power. It is meant to be a Spanglish digital space um, because that is how I exist. I speak both English and Spanish and don't always translate, you know, but I do my best to make it accessible. Um, and so my hope is just that my art is reaching folks and um really, you know, a conversation starter, whether it is with your mom, your tias, your aunties, you know, um, get some of those conversations going because they're important and healing starts at home. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show today. It's been really lovely to chat with you and hear about your work. Thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing. Thank you so much. spotlight today is from friend of the pod your fat friend published on may 28 2021 on self it's entitled fat isn't a bad word it's just the way i describe my body quote we need to talk about the word fat specifically we as a collective society need to make room for understanding fat the way many plus size people do as a neutral even affirming term Fat is a word that many of us avoid, especially straight-sized people, and understandably so. We've spent a lifetime being trained to understand the word as a deeply cruel one. Many of us have been hurt by it, and so we have come to know it exclusively as a weapon. Some people use fat to mean unlovable, undesirable, slovenly, unintelligent, lazy. Others use it to mean wealthy and greedy. Other times we use it to mean poor and lazy. Sometimes it's a stand-in for sloth, gluttony, and other deadly sins. Fat becomes a floating signifier, a word that's a blank screen for us to project our assumptions and feelings onto. It can and does bear all manner of things. But all the wide-ranging things we project onto the word fat have one thing in common. They're negative. Because many people only conceive of the word fat as a negative one, they redact it from their own vocabularies. They object when anyone else uses the word, especially in reference to themselves. 
Too often, they don't seek to understand why that person has used the word fat or how that person feels about it. Instead, they simply assume that everyone else sees the word negatively. They don't listen for content, don't ask clarifying questions, don't seek to support the person. They simply lean into their own knee-jerk response of wishing the word away. Sweetie, no, you're not fat. For some people, some of that discomfort is rooted in personal experiences being called fat, which many of us experience as a hurtful insult. But being called fat is insulting, at least in part, because whatever our size, we all know how fat people are treated. We all see the way strangers stare at fat people, the ways in which fat bodies are used to promote full-throated revulsion and disgust. We see the ways in which fat people are bullied and excluded. So we assume that the word fat calls up all that hurt and harm, and we scrub it from our vocabularies. But in the process of disavowing the word, we reinforce all of those negative meanings, and we reveal our own unquestioned assumptions about what it means to be fat. We don't ask fat people what they want or what would feel most supportive to them, even as we, assi- even as we insist we're protecting them by eschewing the word fat. Instead, we act as if we know what's best for people whose life experiences are markedly different from our own. Rather than focusing on the needs of the people who are most marginalized by anti-fat attitude, we center our own discomfort. We assume that others share our myriad and multifaceted negative assumptions and preconceptions about being fat. And in assuming, we perpetuate those negative stereotypes, relegating the word fat and consequently fat people's experiences to that which cannot be named, much less remedied. For decades now, some people have been proudly using the word fat like any other descriptor, accurately and neutrally. The National Association to Advanced Fat Acceptance was founded in 1969, proudly using the word fat in its name. Books like Happy Fat, Things No One Tells Fat Girls, and Fat So have been written by and for fat people for years. But still, people who aren't and haven't been fat often studiously avoid the word, even going so far as to correct fat people when we name our own bodies. I've been fat since childhood and have worn plus sizes since high school. I've had hurled at me as an insult more times than I can count. It stung because it was intended to. Not only was it a condemnation of my body, it was a reminder that I didn't belong. But even as a child and teenager, being called fat paled in comparison to how I was treated, even by those who diligently avoided the term. As an undeniably fat person, being called fat is the least of my problems. I am more concerned with the rampant discrimination that people like me face in employment, healthcare, education, and more. I am much more concerned about the ceaseless street harassment and sexual harassment that follow very fat people wherever we go and about the countless bystanders who too often say and do nothing to intervene. And I'm much more concerned with the number of straight-sized people who refuse to say the word fat, and as a result, refuse to acknowledge the lived experience of fatter people. But I know, from a lifetime experience in a fat body, that if someone is afraid to say fat, chances are they're not standing up for fat people. If simply naming our bodies is too much to bear— That's a sign that one's relationship to fat people is far from neutral, much less accepting or supportive. Of course, not everyone is comfortable being called fat. 
But that discomfort can't override fat people's body autonomy. And that means that all of us, fat or thin, are going to need to get comfortable enough to hear someone else say the word fat without objecting. Regardless of the speaker's size, we're going to need to get comfortable asking, what does that mean to you? And accepting whatever answer we get. We'll need to relearn to see the word as it is, a neutral descriptor that can hold different kinds of power for different people. Recognize that where you see a minefield, others, including many people who, like me, are undeniably fat, find liberation and joy. If a word you've redacted from your vocabulary, many of us find ourselves. And when you cannot name our bodies, when you cannot regard our skin neutrally, what chance do you have of treating us respectfully or lovingly? End quote. Thanks for listening to another episode of Friend of Maryland. Friend of Maryland is brought to you by Manawatu People's Radio, triple nine AM. If you'd like to contact the show with questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions for topics or guests, you can email us at friendofmaryland at aol.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Closing the show is The Greatest by Alabama Shakes.
support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.